it's always the question, you know, how do you define failure? You know, what looks as a failure to me might look like a success to you, right? Be authentic. Go off the beaten path. Define what success looks like for you. That all sounds awesome sauce, doesn't it? But what does working and living on your own terms actually look like in practice? The Leading Rebels podcast is here to offer some answers. Every two weeks, you'll hear inspiring interviews with badass women walking the talk and my own actionable advice to help you find, own, and tell your story. I'm your host, Catherine Dell, a storyteller, founder, and book nerd that's passionate about amplifying women's voices. Now let's dive into today's episode so you can become a leading rebel in your life. Hey there, Rebel. Welcome to this episode of Rebel Moves. I'm here with Anne Coquette, who is a serial entrepreneur, corporate and nonprofit leader with a passion for innovation. I actually got the chance to meet Anne in person in San Francisco last year, and we're reconnecting now virtually with me in Berlin and her still in San Francisco with probably better weather, but still. I love Anne because she's super passionate about closing the gender gap for female entrepreneurs and having more women in tech, especially leaders in tech, which we all know are two topics which are super important to address. She recently launched the first advocacy study for women in product to discuss solutions to close the gender gap in entrepreneurship and corporations at the World Economic Forum. And she's also the founder of Guilt, an AI-powered networking platform providing women with actionable networking connections. She also mentors startups, invests in social impact startups, and speaks at industry events and conferences. So she definitely has a very, very long bio and an impressive one. Welcome, Anne. Hi, Kat. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. I'd actually like to start off with something uh, fun because I just saw recently that you did a big, well, not you didn't do this recently, but I saw it recently. You did a big tour through South America. Some of these just might know, but not all. I'm half Chilean and I grew up in South America. So that always is interesting to me. What was oh. kind of one of your highlights from that trip? Oh my God, South America, you bringing back some memories there. Uh, yeah, I went for four months and I would say, you know, it's just the culture of the people and understanding how people look at life and how open and happy they are and how much music they listen to. That was one of the big eye-opening experiences there in South America, specifically in Colombia, and then also in countries like Panama and Ecuador, Peru, and ultimately I ended the trip in Brazil. Nice. I think you've actually been to more countries than me though, <laughs> but yeah, I'll work on it to, to get there. But that's actually a really good transition because, you know, South American cultures and what you just talked about, the openness and the zest for life. You're originally from Stuttgart in Germany. And that's being right. half German, I think I'm allowed to say that Stuttgart is maybe a more traditional, a little bit more conservative place. <laughs> so <laughs> how was it? Because, you know, you've obviously traveled a lot. You've done a lot of different things, which are maybe not the norm in Stuttgart. So how did that start? How did you start having the zest for traveling, for going beyond your usual, you know, bubble there? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I always felt like there was more out there than Schwabenland and Stuttgart and that area. And it's a wonderful area in Germany and it's a great country. And I love the people there and my friends and my family. But I also knew that there's bigger opportunities out there waiting for me. And quite frankly, it was an intuitive um, feeling that that was the case. And 
I think it was also influenced by me reading a lot. And, you know, this starts with Ronja Räubertochter, these adventure books with girls just taking the charge and being adventurers. And then the Red Sora and all those kinds of books definitely influenced my childhood. And then growing up, my parents also always made sure that I have the feeling that whatever I put my mind to, I can do. And they made sure that I have the resources or the tools or the training to do that. That ultimately led me to leave Germany after my MBA that I did at University of Tübingen and set out to a one-year round-the-world trip. And that was certainly my first rebel move, I would say. And a lot of people at home <laughs> said, you know, you're crazy. You are gambling away all your chances of getting a great job right now with your MBA and everything. And you can't do that. And I said, well, I can and I will. And that was sort of the first time when I really took charge and, and made decisions that were perhaps not the norm in the society that I grew up in. How was that for you? Because I think it's one of those things we admire so much when people do. And, you know, retrospectively, we can say, oh, yeah, that was definitely the right decision. And, you know, way to go me. But <laughs> in the moment, if there's people around you telling you, no, you shouldn't or no, you can't or it's a bad idea, where did that confidence or maybe you weren't or maybe you were unsure about it but how did you still go ahead with that despite other people being like no this is this is a weird choice yeah what drove me was really that dream that dream of exploring the world and finding another place to be 100% myself and i felt like i was a little restricted in the way how i grew up and my surroundings and I was always the one with the ideas and everybody said, no, you can't do that. And there was always a reason why what I wanted to do was not possible. And I think the more people said, no, you can't do it. And the more people told me that this was a bad idea, the more I felt like, no, this is exactly the right idea. And I felt the confidence coming from those people <laughs> telling me, no, that this is actually the right thing for me. So it's a little bit of reverse um, psychology there. But I didn't have a doubt that this would be a great trip for me. And I also knew that if I came back after that year, I was fairly certain that I would be able to find a job. And, you know, that was what everybody around me was concerned about, you know, which will she be able to find a job if she has shown that, you know, she's this, this adventurer and just gallivants around the world and doesn't take life seriously as we do here in Stuttgart. And perhaps there's a truth to that, but I wasn't necessarily going to come back to get that job at Daimler in Stuttgart, you know? So it was okay for me to go and to see what, what else is out there and to then make a decision. Was there ever a moment in, in that year abroad where you were unsure of the decision you made or were like, oh, damn, this maybe was, was the wrong thing to do? Was there ever a moment or an experience Because, I mean, a year is a long time, and I think overall it must have been an amazing experience, but I can imagine there might have been a moment or two uh, oh, that were a bit sure. more tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually didn't take long. After the 10-hour flight to Thailand, which was my first stop, I got out of the airplane. It was very hot and humid, and it was a holiday there. And it's called Somkran, and it's a water festival where all the kids and all the adults spray each other with water and have big buckets of water and throw that on you. And it's a sign of getting purified. And it's a good thing if you get splashed with water. But me coming there from Germany with all my backpack and, you know, the first step on this journey, getting splashed with water everywhere by these people was just <laughs> a completely overwhelming 
experience and of course you're tired because you just came from this flight and you can't find the hotel and there's just all these smells and scents and noises everywhere that you're absolutely not used to and you come from Stuttgart and I had never traveled overseas before so that was certainly a moment where I was like whoa okay it's time to lean in here <laughs> yeah that's such an interesting point what made you stick it out in those moments what made you not want to see because I mean you always had the option to say okay screw it <laughs> I'm going home Whatever this uh, the situation is, it's not for me after all. What made you in that moment? I mean, that one was the beginning of your trip as well. But made, what made you in those moments still say, "No, I'm going to see this through," or "I'm going to, you know, find the good in the next thing," or whatever it might be? Yeah, it's a long teaching experience and learning experience. Um, travel teaches you so much, and specifically patience and resilience. And it's two skills that you really need as an entrepreneur. You need to be okay with the ambiguity and with the ups and downs and the emotional ups and downs. And so for me, there is an inner compass that I really rely on. And that inner compass always points me to the next thing. And when you travel, you follow that inner compass. And then today is awful and you didn't find the right place to sleep and you're hungry and whatever. And then you meet somebody and that person just absolutely changes your life and your point of view. And it's an amazing person. You start traveling together for a while and it just completely changes your experience. And the more experiences you have like that, the more you learn that this will happen to you and you, you start to trust yourself and you start to trust that inner compass that will lead you and guide you to, to your next thing. And speaking of the next thing, which is a good transition, there's still a lot of a big gap, I'd say, between the girl that did the year abroad and traveling the world and where you are today, the woman that you are today. What were kind of the biggest rebel moves, as we call them, <laughs> that you did that brought you to where you are now? Yeah, so there's quite a few, and it's probably not three in total. It's more like 10 or so. <laughs> <laughs> So I think one of the bigger ones was after I returned from my trip and I did management consulting for about three and a half years in Switzerland that also uh, led me to travel a lot across Europe and also Asia. I quit that job and decided that I wanted to be an artist. <laughs> and I started to put some artwork out there and had also a Christmas market stall at the Swiss Christmas market in Zurich. And that was my first real entrepreneurial endeavor. And boy, it was, it was a disaster you know, financially and, and everything else. And I really understood that, okay, I didn't ask the right people how to do this. I was very arrogant. I was my arrogant consulting self being like, okay, I got this. How hard can it be? And yeah, I just made a lot of wrong business choices on that first entrepreneurial journey, but it taught me so much. And so after that was actually the time when I went uh, traveling again, because once you have the travel bug, it, it will come back to you. And so I went to South America for four months and then somebody called me and I came back to Europe and started my own consulting company in England and Switzerland and did that for a while. And then I think the next rebel move that was pretty much a, a mover I'm still today sometimes like flabbergasted like how how I made that decision was when I came here to the US for a best friend's wedding I drove down route 66 in a red convertible it's a totally german dream of you know <laughs> yeah. freedom going west and ultimately I I got to LA and a friend of mine an old friend of mine who I actually had met on my first round the world trip at that time you know years ago 
uh, he reached out on Facebook and said, hey, why don't you drop by? And I did. And you know, two months fast forward, we got married in San Francisco. And that's actually how I got here. And I think, you know, in terms of risk taking and being a little crazy and trusting your inner compass, that was certainly one of the bigger moves that changed my life completely and in a, in a wonderful direction. It put me right into Silicon Valley in San Francisco and that hub that is, you know, all about innovation and trying things and yes and attitude and, and a complete opposite in many ways to, to Stuttgart and the traditional Germany where I grew up. There's so many great things here I want to unpack for sure. So one of them was actually your choice to go to consulting. And if I'm not wrong, it was um, IT consulting. So also, you know, corporate IT, which was also more male and all that sense. Because you just got done this, you know, year around the world, which is more free. And then you also mentioned you did become an artist in quotation marks afterwards. So there was definitely this more creative, free spirit side of you. How did you decide that you wanted to go into this more corporate IT world? And how did you fare there? Because especially, you know, in that setting, it can be a little bit challenging being a young woman. Absolutely. And quite frankly, at the time, I didn't know much about the jobs that were out there. And I think it's still a big issue for women after college that they don't really know what are all the different jobs and positions that are available to them. And I speak to a lot of students about that and they tell me that career counselors don't really help them find the right position for them and the right role. So what happened was that I was on some newsletter that was for the university and there was this job. And so I applied for it. And actually I applied for it because the interview was in Zurich and I had never been to Zurich before. <laughs> so I felt like, oh, this is a great way to go see Zurich. And plus I learned about this company. And then I was pretty intrigued by the consulting firm, by the people that were there. And I really respected the people. And for me, it's really important to work with a team of A players and people that I truly respect. And so I said, well, I should give it a go. And this is, you know, while I'm returning to Europe, this might be another extension of my adventure because it won't be Germany, it will be Zurich, and it will be a lot of traveling and consulting and a lot of sort of being thrown in on the deep end and trying to figure things out, which is definitely something that I excel at. And so then being in that role and being that consultant on those projects, and my very first project was a Sarbanes-Oxley Act IT application control project in Frankfurt at Deutsche Telekom. And it was so boring and it was so, <laughs> it was so hierarchical. And yeah, I really questioned this choice. But then I voiced that as well to my management and to my boss. And then when the next project came around, it was actually a really exciting, interesting project. It was making Deutsche Telekom and T-Systems able to procure IT equipment for Shell at the time in over 90 countries. But T-Systems was only in 12 countries at the time. So it was a huge challenge and it was a very interesting project. And it also mixed two companies and two company cultures, the very German T-Systems kind of a company with Shell, which is a very international corporation with a lot of, you know, Asian employees as well. And so that project definitely hit a nerve for me where I said, okay, this, this makes sense. And I think I can bring some creativity even to this the challenge of building new systems and building processes for, for this to happen. And it was high pace. And, you know, there was 
just not much time to to put solutions out there. And I got to travel to Sabachaya, which is basically the Silicon Valley of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and to a lot of other areas. And I outsourced a team to Ukraine and not Ukraine, Hungary. And yeah, it was just a really fun experience. And I realized that I really excel also in those kinds of environments where you just have to quickly iterate and come up with new solutions and throw something on the wall and ask a lot of people what they feel could be the right thing. And yeah, ultimately, I think I learned a lot of skills and and communication skills as well, how to lead teams and how to also lead teams that are not in the same place, which I think then over the years got more and more important. And nowadays we have so many remote teams that it is really a skill to to keep them together and to make them feel they're working on one mission. Speaking of communication skills, that's actually something I'd be interested in how you found your voice in that job because it was technically your first job. And I think I read a story where you shared that uh, you came into a room and there was two older white guys screaming at each other and you were you know, sent there to kind of diffuse the situation. And, you know, being a young woman, being it's your first job, how did you kind of have or build up the confidence to still get hurt in those settings? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So at the ground level, you have to have that confidence in yourself, right? It comes from your entire upbringing. It relates back to your experience in high school, college, etc. So I do think I have a deep sort of sense of who I am and what I want and what I bring to the table. But what helped in those situations specifically was that I always had a champion or somebody who was an advocate for me and who believed in me and who brought me into these projects. So that situation that you mentioned was a meeting in Houston Tower in London. And I was the first day on the project. And there was these two guys in the conference room literally shouting at each other. And I came in and they thought I'm an admin or something. And so I sat down and I listened for a while and then I made clear like, okay, no, I'm the new program manager for the cross-function team and let's sit down, let's go through it, let's go through the project plan and see how many resources we need to get this delivered and then make a proposal. And we did. And, you know, it was like, to me, a lot of these decisions, they're not rocket science. They're really just common sense type of things. You don't need an MBA to sit down and just make a smart decision or a suggestion of what should happen next. And I would say 99% of people would have done the same. It's just that, you know, I felt like I was put in that position to be that person, to do that job. And therefore, I had the confidence to do it. Speaking of confidence, as you mentioned, very often we kind of grew up with a sense of it and, you know, we're still with it and you were definitely clearly lucky enough to have that confidence until sometimes we have like a first major setback. And now you mentioned, you know, going out on your artist career and, you know, building up that first entrepreneurial business that then failed or didn't go as you wanted it to. How did you deal with that? How did that affect you? How did you maybe not let that affect you that in the future you did build companies again and didn't say, okay, clearly being an entrepreneur is not my thing. I shouldn't do that. How did that happen? Yeah, I still get emotionally very, very affected when I fail. And I fail a lot, right? We do. We're entrepreneurs, we're innovators, and that's what we do. We build something, we believe in something a lot, and then we fail, and then we iterate, and then we change it. And it's always the question, how do you define failure? You know, what looks as a failure to me might look like a success to you, right? And it always depends of 
who do we measure and compare against. So I think having that in the back of your mind is really important to not get hung up, especially here in San Francisco, where you're always surrounded by people who are more successful than you and who are more successful than you will in high likelihood ever be, right? Like, you know, look at Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I'm one degree of separation from Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know him personally, but, you know, it's not going to be likely that I'll be ever in his position, nor do I want to be. But, you know, like, that's the people you compare yourself against. And I think that really is a recipe for unhappiness. Hmm. And if you can define what success looks for yourself and what really intrinsically motivates you, and if you're okay being on the journey and maybe not reaching the goal, the, the high goal, but you enjoy the journey enough, I think that's a good recipe to being and staying sane as an entrepreneur and just really enjoying that journey. And what is that for you? What is your definition for success and, and what drives you? It's definitely the journey. I love the journey and I love sitting down and thinking about that next iteration and the ideas and my teams, you know, they sometimes say, oh my God, and again with her ideas, right? Like, because I bring new ideas to the table every day and I get my team to, to analyze them and to come back and to push back on me as well. I love that process and I love prototyping. I love putting that first MVP out. And to me, that's like, that's so exciting. You know, you have that idea, you put it into some MVP and then you send it out to the world and then you see the reaction. That's, that's very exciting to me. And that's why I'm an entrepreneur and why I love building things. So that, that really ge- uh, keeps me going. And also speaking of what you're doing now, um, a change, or maybe it wasn't a change, but something I did notice is that you could say you shifted to a little bit of a more value-driven approach along the way. So, you know, maybe the beginning corporate IT or whatever, you know, was your interest, but maybe not a higher mission in, in quotation marks. And now you're doing a lot of work around, for example, closing the gender gap and, you know, helping have more female leaders. When did that happen? When did you kind of switch a little bit into wanting that to be part of your work? Oh, don't, don't say that to my old colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> IT is not purpose-driven. <laughs> this world runs on IT. No, no, no. I'm just making fun. It's uh, it's a really great question. And, you know, I told you about marrying my husband. Obviously, that was mm-hmm. sort of like a big cliff in my life where I just jumped and I hoped that it would work out. And at that point, I realized, okay, I need a new network and I need friends and fairly quickly because otherwise I will not succeed here in finding a new job and a new role, et cetera. And so what happened was that I went to a lot of networking events here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. And luckily, there's a million that you can choose from. And so I saw a lot of events that were really just men on panels. And I also felt that the mentors and advisors in the ecosystem here were mostly men. And at some point, I asked myself, well, why is that? And why isn't there more women here? And whenever I go to social gathering, all we talk about is social stuff and the husbands and this and that. But whenever we're really talking about business, it feels like there isn't really a place for women here to talk to each other about their entrepreneurial dreams or their startups, etc. At the same time, I also started a consumer product company with my husband, and we built this little iPhone case, which is a little bumper case, and we got it to production and we, we sold it in 15 countries, etc. 
And that experience, again, was very isolating. There was nobody else around us who had really done that or given us a lot of advice. I mean, it's not true that there were a lot of people that were advisors to us, but it wasn't the people that looked like me that I found that could give me that advice. At that point, I said, you know what? We should change this. We should start a ladies club and we make it an entrepreneurial minded ladies club so that we have a reason to get together and have a nice glass of champagne and maybe a cupcake or some wine and we discuss business and it's okay to do that. And that's when I started Bubbles and Biz, a ladies club that met every other week and we grew to a lot of members very quickly. And I ran that for two years. And that was really sort of the foundation for what then became the Guild, which is a networking platform that's uh, driven by technology to connect people to each other and specifically women. And I think the pain for me to be here and feel very isolated and feel that something was missing, that was really the shift to a more purpose-driven approach. And I did do some consulting and then ultimately was employed by Genentech. And I also felt that the purpose there was not necessarily the purpose I wanted to follow. And I had really become this entrepreneur and entrepreneur by heart. And so I moved into the innovation department there. And the purpose of that was certainly something I could get behind because we were looking at technology to see how we could cure disease or how could we prevent disease even, for instance, for cervical cancer and seeing very early onsets of disease in lung cancer patients with the help of deep learning algorithms and data science when we look at CT scans and those kinds of innovative approaches we, we looked at. And I thought that was really something I could get behind. And it definitely added to my mission-driven leadership that is something very important to me today. Want to start your own podcast? I'm sure you're brimming full of awesome ideas about the kick-ass episodes you'll be recording. I know I was when I got started. One thing I wasn't so excited about having to figure out all the tech logistics of getting my podcast live. Cue my lifesaver, Blueberry. After some intense research, I settled on Blueberry as my podcast host. And almost three years later, I couldn't be happier. Why? Because setup is easy and fast. There is a WordPress integration, and they've got awesome sauce statistics you can nerd out on. If you want to focus on being a boss and creating great content, I've got a special offer for you at leadingrebels.com slash blueberry. One free month of hosting or statistics. Again, that's leadingrebels.com slash blueberry. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Now back to today's episode. What I love about your story when you got to San Francisco, and as you said, didn't have a network, didn't have people is that you then created the network you wanted. Because I think what can be challenging, it's great being in a new place in the sense that, you know, having the chance a little bit reinvent yourself, kind of, you know, not have the story that you had until then with you. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it can also feel like you have to fit in there. And then you have to be part of the culture and what's already been created there. And I find it, as I said, interesting that you decided not to do that, but rather create what you were lacking. So how was that process for you in the decision that you said, I don't want to fit into what's already existing, but do something else and different myself. Yeah, I think that's the spirit of Silicon Valley. If it's not here and you want it, you build it and you invent it. 
and it's okay to do that. And people have a lot of respect for you if you do that as well. So it's a very different environment than other countries or cultures where if you don't fit in, you're not one of them. Here, if you don't fit in, you belong because <laughs> we're, we're the society of people who don't fit in really. And maybe that's also the draw of San Francisco. There's a lot of people here who are rebels and who just always sort of ask one more question. Why? Why do we do have to do it like that? Or why is it crazy that we have to wait for taxis for 20 minutes and then they may not show up? Or, you know, why can't I just have my pizza delivered to my door at any given time of the day? You know, that's the kind of people that are here. And not all of this, I think, is, is necessarily purpose-driven and it has different values in my mind. But it's wonderful to be surrounded by those people and to be one of them and to say, you know what? <laughs> Women-centric networking, really not something that I find here. Let's just try it and start it. And I think one of the success factors for San Francisco and Silicon Valley is that you're surrounded by people who are okay with you thinking like that. And they're also early adopters. And they say, okay, let's try it, right? Like if Anne puts something out there, let's just go and try it. We don't have to have a thousand people go there first to tell us that it's a good thing before we go, right? So it, it goes both ways. You have to have the customers, the potential first uh, early adopters in the same space as you have the innovators. And I think that's why this is such a fertile ground for new ideas and businesses and startups and innovation. Definitely. And I also wanted to ask you one last thing about your last rebel move since you said it yourself, which mm -hmm. was... Uh, You know, interestingly enough, on the podcast, we actually do the flip side of what you did in San Francisco. We talk 99% about career and business. So that's the main focus. But as you said, marrying your husband in quotation marks so quickly, since that's also always relative, was also a bit of a, you know, rebel move, deciding to move to a new country and get married and do something completely different. How did that decision come about for you? How did it feel? How did you react to how people around you reacted? Since I'm assuming people who didn't, you know, maybe know the circumstances so well were a bit surprised about what happened. Yeah, they definitely were. And I just went back to on Facebook and I stumbled over a few of these posts when we announced that we would get married and everybody was like, wait, what? <laughs> and that was certainly a, a reaction from my family too. And they said like, no, come home. We need to save you from this terrible decision. Um, <laughs> It, it felt very, very exciting. I've never been more excited about anything in my life. I knew it was the right thing. I knew it was a little crazy. And I knew there was a risk that it wouldn't work out. But now, seven years later, we're still married and very happily so. I knew that I could prove them wrong. And it wasn't actually necessary to prove them wrong. It was just necessary for me to experience that time with that wonderful man. And because of immigration, et cetera, it, it was kind of like needed that we got married, at least for us to stay here. We could have gone somewhere else, obviously, but we were ready to, to put down some roots. So yeah, it was one of the best feelings and it was definitely a gut feeling. I knew in my mind that everything I learned in my life said that I shouldn't do this because I didn't know him well enough and 
you know, there's just all these risk factors. A new country, there's a lot of variables that were completely out of the norm, which usually means that when they get back to norm, it might not work anymore, right? And so I knew that was a possibility, but I also said, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? And of course, the worst thing could have been that this marriage would have been terrible and we would have gotten divorced. But looking at that outcome, you know, still, even from today's perspective, like that's not the most terrible outcome in the world. Like that's okay. You know, like I could have lived with that. And I think uh, not enough people are asking themselves when they make decisions, what is the worst outcome? And then weigh it to what is the potential best outcome, which is that we have this wonderful life together and we're both very entrepreneurial. We started a startup together and sold it in 2015. And we just, you know, explore the coast and go kite surfing in our VW 1977 van. And, and, you know, like that was the best potential outcome. And it came true. And the worst potential outcome was to get divorced. And it didn't come true. And so, you know what, like, come on, it's not hard to make a decision <laughs> then, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And as, and as you've said, you know, being an entrepreneur and founding is a rebel move all the time. Since that's what you basically have to do on a day-to-day basis. What has that taught you for your personal self? So, you know, as you said, failures in, in the eye of the beholder, but, you know, starting the first thing that maybe didn't completely pan out like you wanted it to, and then going on to a different country to build something. How have those different situations, what have they taught you about, about yourself? They certainly shape my personality. And um, nowadays, I would say I'm much more humble than I used to be. I was an arrogant, probably pretty annoying uh, student, and then also probably <laughs> consultant. And I would say that the entrepreneurial journey has definitely taught me, uh, yeah, humbleness and a lot of empathy for people who are the true big innovators in the world. And I can relate to them at least a little bit. And it's not just, you know, you start a company and you give people some nice dresses and then they can send them back. And then a few years later, you're you're kind of a unicorn, right? Like rent the runway. We always look at these things and sometimes we discredit them. We're like, oh, how hard is it? And oh, I have, I've, I could have done this or I had an idea like that. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's not that easy. And the journey is really long and painful and also exhilarating, but I have the biggest respect for those entrepreneurs that, that really get to that point and start a company that's, you know, for instance, cars that just run on batteries and go for those moonshots and make it happen. I think that's, that's incredible. And those are certainly my role models. And I hope that one day the guild is, you know, in that category where, where we say like, yeah, of course. I also always thought that we should t- use technology to connect people in real life. And no brainer, right? And then (laughs) hopefully at some point the guild will be big enough that also people in Germany and Europe and anywhere else can join in and get connections over video chats or in real life meetings to meet each other and to make those connections and to build a network that helps them build their dreams. Yeah, I absolutely love the the guild mission. And as you know, with co-women, we're also have a shared vision of about connection and also in-person connection. So we're definitely on the, on the same wavelength there. I love the rebel moves that you've shared with the listeners. And I think they will take away a lot of great tips on how to have the courage to take big moves in their own life. And to finish up, I just had two quick last questions. 
So if there's a resource, a book, a podcast, um, except this one, that you would recommend to <laughs> listeners uh, that they can read or listen to or so on to get inspired to be leading rebels in their own lives, what would that be? Yeah. So I love listening to Masters of Scale by Reed Hoffman. He does this podcast that really shines light on those big innovators and entrepreneurs. And he always puts an interesting twist on it. So it's not just their story, but it's also like it focuses in on like go to market or pitching or whatever it may be. So I think that's a really great one. I also love Terry Mead's Piloting Your Life podcast. And she talks a lot about femtech and healthcare and startups in that space and also angel investing and how you can truly become the pilot in your own life. And then I would say Sarah Holtz's advice to my younger me is a great resource for people who just want to hear from more experienced women across the board, how they persevered and how they were successful in their corporate jobs, but also in their startup. That's a sort of a, a little golden nugget in the podcast realm. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've heard some of those and they're great. So definitely really good resources, which I'll also link to in the show notes. And kind of as a final question, did and if yes, how your life change when you started doing things on your own terms? I would say when I left Germany and more than a decade ago, I started doing things on, on my own terms, right? And very quickly, I came in contact with people whose terms were very different than mine. And it was a painful process to establish my terms. And today, I'm, I must say that I'm grateful that I went through this experience and that I had to fight for my own values. But I really know the values that are important to me. And even if you sometimes kind of lose yourself or you lose direction or whatever, it's so important to know what's important to you at the core level of who you are. And don't let others define who you are and what's, what's good for you or what's good or bad. Like, make sure you have your inner compass aligned with those values and make sure you also put yourself out there and have those experiences so that you can define what that is for yourself. Perfect. Thanks so much, Anne. And as a final thing, where can people find you and learn more about you? Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me there if you type in Anne Coquette. I also have a new website at annecoquette.com. So if you want me to do a workshop for you on the diversity inclusion side of things or talking about entrepreneurship, innovation, data science, those kinds of topics, I'm always happy to come to you and uh, share a little bit about my experience and also my sort of deep insights into the technology space here in Silicon Valley. I host some innovation tours every now and then, and I show them a little bit the behind the scenes of Silicon Valley so that you don't just see, you know, the thumbs up sign at Facebook and then you think you saw Silicon Valley, but I actually give you some deeper insights and I also bring a lot of female entrepreneurs out there. And then of course, I invite you all to join the guild and set up a networking profile and see if you get matched with somebody who will change your life. And that's at letsguild.com. And you're very welcome to also email me at anne, A-N-N-E, at letsguild.com. Great. I'll also include all those links and so on in the show notes so you can find more about Anne there. And thank you so much, Anne, for the amazing conversation and for you leading Rebel. 
I would actually take Anne's uh, advice for this. And what about you write down what are those key important things in your life, not influenced by what other people say, but that are important for you and you want to use as your compass. So thanks, Anne, for that impulse. And thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks, Kat. Love today's episode? Spread the love. Screenshot today's episode and share that you're tuning in on social media to inspire more women to be a leading rebel in their life. And make sure to tag me so I can send you a personal thank you. All the Leading Rebel social media links are in the show notes. Until next time.